Welcome to the Forward Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Now let's get ready to dive into today's message. We know you'll be blessed. You can, you can be seated. Uh, Miss Renee walked over during worship and uh, she just laid her hands on me and, and began to pray for me. And, uh, and as she did that, I had to grab my phone because the Spirit of God just, I guess, maybe awoken or quickened something inside of me to read. And uh, it's, it's not on the agenda. But, so I just pray. I, I trust God with everything inside of me. But I see all the chaos, all the confusion that we're experiencing in the world today. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand what's going on. We see so much confusion, so much brokenness. We see wars, we see rumors of wars. We see earthquakes in divers places, Matthew says. We see tornado, tornadic activity everywhere. They had a tornado in Moss Point, Mississippi. Never heard of that in my life, right in downtown. But it's everywhere, things are breaking out. Life is chaotic right now in the world, in the flesh. But this popped up in my mind, it's from Pearl Harbor. said, early on the morning of December the 7th, 1941, George E. Elliott Jr. was manning the new radar equipment, a state-of-the-art SCR-270 on the northern tip of Oahu, alongside fellow servicemen Joseph Lockard. A few hours later, the, tra- the tragic events of that day started to unfold. Says when things turned out differently, had a radar warning, had the radar warning, they called, had been taken differently, they called in the radar. They said, just after 7 a.m., Elliot noticed an unusually large blip on the radar, something that seemed to indicate a rather large flight. Unsure of what the signal could be, Elliot made a call to the information center at Fort Shafter and was advised no one was available and he would receive a call back. Moments later, the call back came through and Lockhart answered. On the other end was Lieutenant Kermit Tyler, who was quick to dismiss the large blip. As a dozen American B-17 bombers were on their way from San Francisco, a judgment call that had it gone other way may have prevented the complete surprise of the impending Japanese bombardment. With Tyler's mistaken reassurance, Lockard was ready to pack up and end his shift, but Elliot insisted on tracking the signal, partially hoping to use the incoming flight as practice on the new radar warning system. By 7.39, the blip had vanished entirely in the mountains of Oahu. Almost immediately after the signal disappeared, Elliot and Lockard were pulled off duty to head back to the base for breakfast. Upon their arrival, the two learned of the Japanese attack. Among the enemy forces were 183 Japanese fighters that Elliot had spotted on the radar. It's safe to assume that even if Tyler had heeded Elliot's warning, the attack on Pearl Harbor still would have happened, still would have been devastating but some sort of preparation, even 10 minutes notice, might have saved lives of men who were unprepared for the surprise bombing. 
how the events of that morning unfolded has been told and retold several different ways. And the blame is often passed between Tyler and Lockard. Tyler being the commanding officer that morning made the ultimate call to ignore it. But some may say Lockard wasn't a, quite clear in relaying the magnitude of the blip Elliot had come, come across. In the newspaper reports from shortly after the attack, Lockhart was given credit for the sighting. Lockhart was the more experienced operator. So it's not surprising that Elliot's discovery was misattributed to him. Prior to his death in 2003, Elliot finally publicly gave his version, the one that portrays him as the one who gave the warning that went ignored. And that sparked up in my spirit when she came and prayed for me. We see the warning signs around us. We see everything unfolding. And in Matthew 24, verse 37, the Bible, Matthew 24, he talks about the wars, the rumors of wars. He talks about earthquakes in diverse places. He talks about the end is not yet but it's the beginning of sorrows. It's the beginning of birth pains. There's a birthing that's taken place. And he said in verse 37, he said, as in the days of Noah were, as in the days of Noah, Noah was a man that preached 120 years. He said, the rain's coming. He said, the rain's coming. They said, this man's crazy. He said, the rain's on its way. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, as in that day of Noah, he said, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. He said they were eating and drinking and partaking in marriage. He didn't say what they were eating and drinking was wrong. He just said they became so busy and so occupied with the things around them that said they knew not until the flood came. Guys, what's going on overseas right now? He's at the door. He's at the door. Jesus is coming is so soon. He spoke to me a couple months ago. I mentioned it in church service. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart as plain as day. And he said, my coming sooner than you think. My coming is sooner than you think. And as I prepared this, I wrestled with what to say, what to, what to, what to speak on. But my wife texted me, she had got a text, said, what's the title of your message? She called me, I said, I don't know, I hung up the phone and as soon as I hung up the phone, the Spirit of God said, armed and ready. I texted her immediately. Like, why didn't you say it when she was on the phone? It was that quick. But it hit me as soon as we hung up, armed and ready. My text comes from Ephesians chapter six, Verses 10 through 13, you don't have to, you can, you can stay seated. I'm, I'm just gonna flow with it. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, put on the whole armor of God. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He said, therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, he said, stand. 
And God, I love you. I realize that I'm unworthy, God. God, but I ask you to anoint my life. God, I fully surrender my everything to you. God, and I ask you, Lord, to let me preach this. Let me, let me convey this message, God, with so much love and mercy and compassion, God. God, but let there be a demonstration of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank you this morning, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> Y'all bear with me. Uh, the first five chapters, there's six chapters in Ephesians. The first five chapters, I went through all of them and wrote down what Paul would, was speaking on in each chapter. But he, he spoke on multiple things directed to us, directed to the church. He said, Paul, while in prison, Paul's in prison, locked up in chains. He said he writes a letter to the church of Ephesus. In the first five chapters, he talks about redemption in Christ. He talks about prayer for, the, for spiritual wisdom. He talks about being saved by grace through faith, brought near by his blood. He talks how Christ is our peace and cornerstone. He's the appreciation and purpose of the mystery of salvation. He tells us how to walk in unity. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about walking in the new man. He tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit how we should walk in love, light, and wisdom. He tells us about the marriage of Christ in the church. He even tells the children, he said, obey your mother and your father. Obey your mother and your father. I promise you, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. He said in Galatians 6, I'm not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, he's going to reap. You sow in the flesh, you reap in the flesh corruption. He said, but if you sow in the spirit, you reap in the spirit everlasting life. So he tells, his, uh, tells children to obey your parents. But then he turns around and he says, mom and daddy, don't provoke them babies to wrath. Don't provoke them babies because of the mistakes we've made in our life. Don't provoke them babies because we're mad at the decisions and the choices and the places that we ventured to. Don't, don't provoke them children because you birthed to Ishmael and you didn't wait on Isaac. Don't get mad at them babies because of our decisions and our choices. And he says, finally, we must put on the whole armor of God. We must put on the armor of God. We must be armed and ready because the enemy is continuously on the prowl. First Peter 1 and 5 tells us to be alert. He said, and be of sober mind. Be in your right mind is what he says because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He didn't say he is a roaring lion. He said he prowls like a roaring lion because we understand there's only one lion and it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's only one lion in this world. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, he looking for someone to devour. He tells us to be sober. Why does he tell us to be sober? Because you're, you're full of confusion when you're walking in a drunken state. That's why he tells us to be sober. Also, I want to take two seconds real quick. I'm sorry. My daddy's here this morning. Uh, I'm, uh, I've uh, spent the last, I'm 39 now. I know I look 24, but 
I'm 39. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Uh, but I've spent the last 20 years out of high school working with my daddy, and it's, it's, it's the greatest blessing ever. And uh, I respectfully say, children, obey your parents. Obey them. Look, we've had, we've been out, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing, I'm taking after pastor. Pastor, this is your fault, your fault. <laughs> There's times at the workplace where people think we're absolutely fixing to rip the walls off the place, that the ceiling's fixing to come off, and that somebody's fixing to die. But 32 seconds later, we're talking about football and talking about life and laughing and everything else. And I'm thankful for that. And I love, I love, I'm so thankful my parents are here this morning. Uh, but 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, here's what he talks about. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. We see, we see abortion on the rise. Thousands of little innocent babies being thrown away every day. Thousands, not hundreds, thousands without natural affection. We've lost that affection, that love. I'm cutting my grass the other day and I sent a Snapchat to our, our high schoolers and I see a package that said plan B in my ditch. And it's like, God, it's like a hot iron hit me. I'm like, God, is this really what it means? Is this, the, is this what we have? Is this our love towards life nowadays? That it's just like, let me go satisfy the desires of my flesh. Let me go satisfy the lust of my flesh. And then hang on one second. Let me go ahead and just take a pill and do away with whatever may. We're in a bad place, guys. We're in a bad, some of you say, well, I didn't come for some of this negative stuff. Give us a second. We'll get to the good stuff. He said, without natural affection, truce breakers. We don't have any truce breakers in this world, do we? He said, false accusers. He said, lacking self-restraint. Lacking self-restraint. This is the word of God. You have to take it up with, with uh, Timothy on this one. I'll let you have Timothy on this one. He said, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You could come in this building all day long, but coming to a building does not make you saved. Coming to a building, coming to a building does not make you saved. Doesn't, doesn't happen. It's like putting a, Kevin Wallace said, you could put a boat in a garage and call it a car. Doesn't happen. It's not a car. So coming to a church doesn't make you saved. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He said, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep in the houses and lead, cap lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. He said, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The truth. You say, Rod, what does that have to do with anything you're saying with, the, with Ephesians 6 and verses 10 through 13? Isaiah 50 said, woe on them that call evil good and good evil that put drunkenness, that put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is why we need the belt of truth. 
This is why we need the belt of truth. Why? Because John 14 and 6, here's what he said in John 14 and 6. He said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the truth and I'm the life. He said, no man comes to the Father except through me, except through the truth do we find who God is, do we experience relationship. He said, you cannot build relationships on anything else. You can't build relationship or anything else on a lie. You can't do it. It must be truth. Without it, we are lost and the schemes of the devil will overpower us. This is why we need the belt of truth. Jesus looked at the Pharisees in John 8, 44 and said, you belong to your father, the devil. This is when the lady was caught in adultery. He said, you belong to your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking. He said, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and holding to the, and holding to the truth and not holding to the truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. You're either for him or against him. There is no in between. Revelation said, I'd rather you be hot or you cold. He said, because if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He either wants real or fake. He wants true or false. He wants right or wrong. Don't be in between because there's no such thing as a half truth. This is why truth is of the utmost importance in the life of a Christian. Without truth, the rest of the armor would be of no use because we would not have the spirit of truth. John 15, 26 says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, of God. In referring to the armor of God, Paul invokes the image of a soldier ready for battle. <laughs> The belt of a Roman soldier in Paul's day was not a simple leather strap such as we wear today. It was a thick, heavy leather and metal band with a protective piece hanging down. It says the belt held the soldier's sword and other weapons. The belt of truth of the spiritual armor holds the sword of the spirit, linking the truth of God's word. John 17 and 17 says, sanctify them in your truth. Why? Because your word is truth. We need truth today. We need the truth of God's word today. The next, I'm going to go through these quick because I have a lot in here. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. In the armor of a Roman soldier, the, bless, the breastplate served as protection for some of the most important parts of the body. Underneath the breastplate is the heart, lungs, and other organs necessary for life. If a soldier did not wear this breastplate, he was vulnerable to an attack that could result in instant death. Romans 6 and 26, uh, 23 says the wages of sin is death. That's if we walk in our righteousness. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's when we put on his righteousness. That's when we can equip ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. When Paul compares the armor of God with military gear, each piece represents a part of God's strength that he, he extends to us when we become his children. The breastplate of righteousness refers to the righteousness purchased 
for us by Jesus at, at Calvary, at the cross. That's what Jesus did. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. For us. He made what was perfect. He made him to be sin so that we could have life and have life. He, he made it so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At salvation, a breastplate is issued to each repentant sinner. It is especially designed by God to protect the heart and soul from evil and deception. Our own righteous acts are no match for Satan's attack. No match. Isaiah 64 and 6 says that my righteousness is as filthy rags. On my greatest day in history, who Rod Stokes is, is nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. But when I walk in Christ and when I walk in his authority and when the blood's applied to my life, I have the same access. The Bible says as priests and kings, I have the ability to look to the enemy and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I have the ability to speak life into others around me. We need the breastplate of righteousness. Genesis 6 and 5, we can't do this on our own. Genesis 6 and 5 says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great. He said in Genesis 6 and 5, check it out. If you don't read the Bible, he's check it out, it'd be good for you. He said, I combed, I searched the earth, and I saw that men's hearts were desperately wicked continually. This isn't new. This isn't new. Genesis 6 and 5, the sixth chapter of the first book of the Bible. He said, I saw that men's hearts were desperately evil, continual. He said, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Romans 8 and 6 says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to the death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. This is why we need the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. The next piece, he even equips your feet. Isn't that great? Wouldn't you hate to go to war barefooted? I would absolutely hate that. Uh, Ephesians 6, 15. And your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. The word readiness implies constant vigilance. A victorious soldier had to be prepared for battle. He had to have studied his enemy's strategy. Be confident in his own strategy and have his feet firmly planted that he could... Hold his ground when the attacks come. Your foundation is the most important part of your body. The foundation is the most important part of this building. The foundation is the most important part of praise God, I ain't got much longer. I'm about to put my floors in my house. Thank you, Jesus. But the foundation is the most important part of that house. It is. That's why... When Jesus looked at his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, reincarnated. He said, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the anointed one. And when he told him that, he told Peter, he said, Peter, you're the rock. You're the, and on this foundation, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's what's great. A soldier's battle shoes were studded with nails or spikes like cleats to help keep his balance in combat. He knew that. He knew that if he lost his footing and went down, it wouldn't matter how great the rest of his armor was. The enemy had him. I remember in sports, I remember playing football 
You wear your cleats a few times and you walk down that asphalt and you go to the field. A few weeks later, you got to change your cleats out. We had spikes. We got to wear spikes. So we got to change our spikes out. And I couldn't imagine going to battle without spikes. I couldn't imagine playing football with tennis shoes on. That would be terrible. It looked like he was on skates. But we are ready with the gospel of peace. We live with the understanding that we are continually under attack from Satan. 2 Timothy 4 and 2 says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. This is the importance of hiding the word in your heart that you might not sin against God. You never know. There, look, we live in a world that's hurting. My wife's the 11th grade counselor at Bryant High School. Our kids are hurting. And the enemy is not backing down. The enemy is not letting up. He's attacking them on every hand from ever, and I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for a man that sits behind the desk, the principal of that school, that allows us to speak Jesus to them kids. Amen. Amen. I don't care what thoughts you have about anyone else, but I'm thankful for a man that'll let us come in and share Jesus and love on them kids with everything inside of us because this is what they need. They need the gospel of truth, the gospel of peace in their life. The importance of hiding the word in your heart that you might not sin again. What Satan attacks with a flaming dart of doubt such as if God really loved you. You ever experienced that? Does God really love you? Why would this happen? Why does this? Why does good things happen to bad people? This is why having the word, the gospel of peace in your life matters. I'm gonna hurry up. The shield of faith, Ephesians 6, above all, taking the shield of faith, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. When the enemy constantly throws darts at us, he's constantly attacking us. He attacks us with doubt. He attacks us with unbelief, with fear, with anxiety, with lies, with hate, with jealousy. He attacks us with fornication. He attacks us with adultery, idolatry, and so many more. But James tells us faith without works is dead. That's why we have to take up the shield of faith that we can could stand bold we could stand firm against every attack that the enemy throws our way every fiery dart that he shoots at us we have the ability to stand up and stand firm in our faith so why do we live in doubt why do we live beaten down why do we live in fear when he said we're made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony we have power over the enemy you have authority over the enemy he said the same power that raised jesus from the dead lives inside of you and inside of me where's our faith this morning and I'm going to jump down to the last two, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. He says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The assurance of salvation is our impenetrable defense against anything the enemy throws at us. Matthew 10 and 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, but God's salvation is ongoing. 
eternal state is an ongoing eternal state that his children enjoy in the present. It is daily protection and deliverance from our sin nature and Satan's schemes. Satan's attacks, we can remind him every day that goodness and mercy follows me every day of my life. We can remind him that, hey, even though you may throw fiery darts, God said he's gonna come down and I'm gonna prepare a table in the presence of your enemy. He said, when he comes at you, he said, what we're gonna do is, I'm gonna prepare a feast for you and we're gonna sit down and eat while he goes crazy. While he acts in pure chaos and confusion, while he throws all these things at you, we can sit at the Father's table with assurance that God's gonna bring us out, that God's gonna deliver us. Here's just a few things. I'm just gonna go through them real quick. One, renew our minds. Renew your mind. Romans 12, one and two says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for it's your reasonable service. He said, but be not conformed. I tell these teenagers all the time, be not conformed. You know what conform means? Walk in line with. He said, don't walk in line with, be not conformed. He said, but be ye transformed. The movie Transformers will keep it simple. The movie Transformers, when they go from a car to this big old machine, that's transformation. Transformation is not 360 because you end up in the same situation. A 360 is not transformation. A 360 is something cute you can do, a pirouette or something. But a 180 is when you're walking and you're conforming to a world and Christ transforms you and you begin to walk against the grain. You begin to walk against what the enemy has for you. He said what the devil meant for evil, he said I'm going to take it and turn it for your good. But you got to allow me. We need to reject doubts that arise from circumstances. Number three. Keep an external perspective. When life crushes in around us, we must remember to look up. Our salvation comes from the Lord. David said, I look unto the hills. He said, to where my help comes from. He said, where my help, where does it come from? He said, it comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Number four says, remember that victory is already accomplished. Victory's accomplished, it's done. He won the war at Calvary. When he shed his blood and said it was finished, he meant it and it's still finished today. That's why we can sit in this church in 2023 and we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we can walk in authority every single day of our life. Number five, find all our hope is in him. Psalm 73:25 says, whom have I in heaven? but you, besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Our help comes from the Lord. The helmet of salvation is so important. Your salvation is real. I still think it's the greatest miracle this side of heaven that God took Rod Stokes' filthy, ungodly heart, that God took my heart full of religion and tradition and he transformed it and made it new. He made me whole again. Finally, the sword of the Spirit. The sword is both an offense, offensive and defensive weapon used by soldiers of war. 
said in this case, it is a weapon belonging to the Holy Spirit. Swords were used to protect oneself from harm or to attack the enemy, to overcome or kill him. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, for the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. He said it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. You think a fillet knife sharp, you ain't seen, you've seen nothing yet. What the word of God, how it reaches into the depths of the soul of a man. How it can take and fillet that heart and cut things off that doesn't need to be there. He can take and pierce that soul and that heart and transform your life and make you a whole new being, a whole new creature in just a moment. That's what the sword of the Spirit does. You can stand this morning. I know it can be a little aggressive at times, guys, but I tell these teenagers all the time, I don't do this for fun. I don't do this for wealth. I don't do this for my health. I do this because God called me to do this. And you say, man, you read a lot of scripture, Rod, because I really don't want you to hear what I have to say. Because everything we say and do up here, it holds eternal weight. Everything we say and do behind this pulpit, God's sacred desk, it holds eternal weight. It's life or death. Robbie Zacharias, God rest his soul, he said God didn't come to make bad men good. He said he came to make dead men live. He came to make dead men live. If you're here this morning, and I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Brandon here in just a second, but if you're here this morning and you wanna be armed and ready before you walk out those doors today and you've never experienced Christ as your savior, I do things a little different. I do things different with the high schoolers, they'll tell you, I'm a little more aggressive. I ain't scared, I ain't scared of the devil, I ain't scared of nobody walks, to be honest with you, I'm not really doesn't bother me a bit. I'm being, not, there's no sarcasm or arrogance. I'm just not. But if you say, Rod, I need Jesus. I need a savior. I need transformation. I need salvation in my life. And I want to walk with the shield of faith. I want to walk with a breastplate of righteousness. I want my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I want to put on the helmet of salvation. I want to apply the shield of faith, but I want to walk boldly with the sword of the spirit. You say, that's me this morning. I need Christ as my savior. No one looking around, every head bowed just for a moment. You say, I need a savior this morning. I challenge you to raise your hand. You say, Rod, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You say, Rod, that's me. We gotta quit worrying about who's beside us because when you stand before Jesus on judgment day, Kimberly Stokes will not be beside me. That's my wife, by the way. And I will not be by my wife on judgment day. We will stand alone before a just God. And he's either gonna say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or he's gonna say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. 
You say, Rod, that's me. One more time. I need salvation. I need Christ. I want to be equipped and armed and ready before I walk out of this place. Raise your hand right now. I challenge you right now. I'm going to turn the mic over to Pastor Brandon. You say, Rod, that's me. Make your way up to the front as the worship team sings. We're going to make your way up to the front. If you want salvation this morning, you want deliverance, I believe making a public profession, confessing your faith, confessing your faith in front of others is a step in the right direction. We worry too much about what people think. I'm tired of worrying. I don't care what people think because the only one that matters is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he shed his innocent blood so that I could have life. Y'all worship. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our most recent episodes. To find out more, visit us at forwardchurchonline.com. There you can connect with us, learn more about our ministries, and submit any prayer requests you may have. We hope you join us again soon.